Good morning. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for all the ways that you bless us. Father, we're very mindful right now of our teens and their sponsors who are in Arlington. Just pray, Father, that this is a weekend that will build them up. Father, that it will strengthen their faith. It will draw them closer to you and closer to each other. Pray, Father, that you will watch over them and keep them safe as they return to us. Just pray, Father, that they will bring back to us a a renewed spirit. And, Father, we just pray that that will help to infect us and live and help us to be lifted up also with, with our spirits, Father, so that we too may be closer to you and closer to each other. Father, pray that you'll bless this time that we're together this morning. Just pray, Father, that we will each come away with a renewed sense of purpose to living as disciples, living as slaves of, of you and your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray this, Father, through Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Well, as most of you know by now, our 2015 theme is, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And over the last few weeks, we've been exploring our theme together in greater depth. Two weeks ago, I asked the question, why choose God? Basically, we asked God, with all the options that are out there of things that we could serve, why should we choose to serve you? And God, through his word, answered, you should choose to serve me because I am the God who created you. I'm the God who loves you, the God who sustains you, who holds you up and keeps his promises to you. We heard God answer, you should choose to serve me because I am the God who sent my son to justify you. I'm the God who sent my son to save you, to reconcile you, to free you. I'm the God who sent my son to rescue you, to redeem you. I'm the God who sent my son to heal you. And I am the God who resurrected Jesus, and I am the God who will resurrect you. We heard God say, you should choose me because I chose to do all of these things for you. And then last week we talked a lot about slavery, and we talked about the fact that we have been set free by Jesus from the slavery of sin, so we can enter into a very different kind of slave relationship. A very different kind of relationship with a very different kind of master. As Christians, we have freely chosen Jesus as our master. And when we were baptized, and when we boldly and publicly proclaimed that we will serve the Lord, we have committed ourselves to being his slaves. We are committed to being slaves of the master who gave up his exalted position with the father. We are committed to the master who made himself a slave. We are committed to the master who made himself completely obedient to the father. And we are completely committed to the master who went to the cross to set us free. What we have done is we have committed to being Jesus' slaves because he is no ordinary master. He's the master who loves. He's the master who saves. He's the master who provides. He's the master who even suffered so his slaves wouldn't have to suffer. He's the master who paid the ultimate price for us. And he's the master who called us to be his slaves, and not for his benefit, but for the benefit of us for the benefit of the slaves. Jesus is no 
ordinary master. And life as his slave is no ordinary life. And that's what we want to explore today. We want to explore that by asking some questions. We want to ask, what does a slave of Jesus Christ do? How do they act? How do they behave? And we'll explore those questions by focusing on the fifth chapter of Galatians. The fifth chapter of Galatians, you might go ahead and turn there now. In this passage, Paul makes a comparison. He draws a contrast. He shows us the difference between slaves who are mastered by sin, slaves who are mastered by their sinful nature, in contrast to slaves who are mastered by Jesus, those who are enslaved by the Spirit. So let's go ahead and listen to Paul's description of these two very different kinds of slaves. The slaves that are ruled by sin and those who are ruled by the Spirit. Galatians 5, I'll begin reading with verse 13. Paul writes, You, my brothers and sisters, you are called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit, what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Verse 19, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Their sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy their drunkenness and orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. In this passage, we see that one of the themes that Paul really develops here in Galatians, and a theme that he returns to over and over again in his letters, it's a theme that slaves can be recognized by their behavior. Maybe more importantly, Paul develops the theme that you can identify a slave's master by observing the behavior of the slave. Paul tells us we can know whom we serve. We can know the identity of our master because slaves are progressively transformed into the image of their masters. Slaves look like their masters. They behave like their masters. They sound like them, they act like them, and they become more like their masters the longer they're in that slave and master relationship. And for Paul, it's pretty simple. It's pretty much cut and dry. There are only two masters that we can choose from. Either we're going to serve our sinful nature, 
or we're going to serve the Spirit who's been given to us by Jesus. And Paul makes it very clear that you can only serve one of those masters. You can only do that because the sinful nature and the Spirit are incompatible. They're in conflict. We might paraphrase Jesus' words from Matthew this way. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both your sinful nature and the Spirit. We have to choose one. And which master we choose is going to be the master whom we work to please. And we need to understand what pleases masters the most is when their slaves look and act just like them. And Paul here shows us what a slave mastered by sin and their own sinful desires looks and acts like. And the most prominent characteristic of those kind of slaves is their love of self. See, slaves of the sinful nature are selfish. They're focused on themselves. If you listen to them talk, you'll hear a lot of selfish pronouns come out. Selfish pronouns like I and me and my and mine. Hear phrases like, I did this. I want that. I think this. I need you to do that for me. You might hear this question, what's in it for me? Phrases like, that isn't going to work for me. That's inconvenient for me. That won't work with my schedule. My needs aren't being met. And the question, when's it my turn? I think you probably get the idea. When, when I'm a slave of my own desires, it's all about me. And when it's all about me, I'm driven by my own desires. I live in submission to my own lust. And I'm able to convince myself that the things that I want are things that I really need. And Paul doesn't pull any punches doesn't pull any punches about how someone who is owned by their lust, about how someone who is controlled by their own lustful behavior behaves. In fact, he says it's obvious. He says it's obvious. You can clearly identify the slaves of the sinful nature because they're the people who give free reign to their appetites without any concern about how it might harm them or any concern about how it might harm others. See, these slaves give free reign to their sexual appetites. They engage in sex outside of marriage, and they even engage in impure and degrading sex within their marriages. These slaves give free reign to their appetites for drugs and alcohol, free reign for substances that break down their inhibitions and that lessen their self-control. These slaves give free reign to their tongues and they use language that is dirty and coarse and inappropriate. They give free reign to words that are offensive and are degrading to other people. These slaves give free reign to their emotions and ambitions and they damage their own relationships with their jealousy and their hatred and their anger. They also damage relationships of other people when they stir up conflict and when they build cliques and when they choose sides. It's obvious. 
The slaves who serve the sinful nature, they're obvious because of their behaviors. See, this is what a life lived in service to the sinful nature looks like. It's like it is, it's full of sin. And when we choose the sinful nature as our master, we rebel against God. We choose to serve ourselves at the expense of others and we rebel against God. We choose to be mastered by sin. We turn our back on God and we turn our back on his people. But we need to be reminded, as Paul reminds the Galatians, is that's not who we are. That's not who we are. That's who we used to be. That's who we used to be before Jesus set us free from all of that. And as you read these words, as you hear Paul speak, you can hear and feel his fear. Paul's afraid. See, Paul's the father whose child was headed down a sure path to destruction. But he's also the father who had his tears and his prayers and his pleas answered when that child turned to God and accepted his grace and began walking in Jesus' steps. But he's the father who also is seeing his children turn to the old paths. His joy is turned to fear as his child listens to different voices and begins to slip back into his old habits. Habits that Paul the father of these Christians knows will only lead to death. Paul, as a father, is crying out. He's crying out to the people, don't do that. That isn't who you are. That's who you used to be. But that's not who you are because you have been set free by Jesus for a different life, a better life, a life led by the Spirit, a life that leads to eternal and perfect life. And so Paul reminds his children and he reminds us that being a slave of Jesus and being a slave of his spirit is a very different life because we have a very different master. And this master's slaves will also look and behave just like their master. And the most prominent characteristic of these slaves is also love. But it's not love of self. No, these slaves are identified by their love of God and their love of others. Slaves of the Spirit are selfless. They're focused on others. If you listen, you'll hear a lot of generous and inclusive pronouns. Pronouns like you and yours and we and us and ours. You might hear questions like this. What would you like to do? What would work for you? What do you need Why don't you keep that and make it yours? We might hear questions like, what do you think? What has been your experience? Maybe this phrase, maybe we can do that together. Or even this phrase, not my will, but yours be done. I think you get that idea as well. When I'm a slave of the Spirit... It's all about God. And when it's all about God, I'm driven by His desires. I live in submission to His will. And I know that everything I truly need, my Master, my God, will provide. It's a life of submission. 
Not because we've been beaten into submission, but because we have been loved into submission. We submit because God loved us so much that he gave up his son so that all who believe in him won't perish, but will instead live with him for eternity. See, it's really not any problem submitting to the master who wants only the best for me and who has sacrificed like this for me. It's really not any problem to submit to our husbands and submit to our wives and submit to our parents and to submit to our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not any problem to do that if, if we have confidence that we all love each other unconditionally. We can submit to each other if we have confidence that we really want the best for each other. We can submit to each other if we know that we're all willing to sacrifice for each other. That's how we're able to submit to God, and that's how we're able to submit to each other. That's also how we're able to live in obedience to God. We're able to live in obedience to God because we're only being asked to do the very things that are for our benefit, the things that lead to eternal life. But we also know that obedience to God isn't always easy. And I think it isn't easy because it also requires a rebellion on our part. Choosing to be mastered by the Spirit means choosing to rebel against ourselves. We have to rebel against our sinful natures. We have to rebel against our lust. It's not always easy because it requires us to move from everything being about me to everything being about him and everything being about others. We have to move from it being about me to where it's about him and it's about you. And it isn't always easy because we're called to find our true identity as God's slaves when we serve each other. And that can only happen when we're no longer devoted to serving ourselves. It may not always be easy, but that's who we are. We are slaves of the Spirit, and we have been set free to live by the Spirit in service to each other. That's, that's who we are. And I think one of the difficulties that I have, the difficulties I have is really grasping what that life looks like. What that life looks like day to day. What does it mean to live as a slave of the Spirit in obedience to others in our lives day to day? And I really struggled with how to convey what that looks like. What it looks like in real life, what it looks like in real time to live as a slave of the Spirit. And I found a a book that I read years ago. A specific chapter in a book that I read probably 20 years ago. It's a book called When God Whispers Your Name. is written by Max Lucado. He wrote this about living life as a slave of the Spirit every day. I've modified it slightly, but I feel like it speaks for me. He writes this from the perspective as a beginning a day. So day-to-day living as a spirit, as a slave of the Spirit. He writes, in a few moments... 
the day will arrive. It will roar down the track with the rising of the sun. The stillness of the dawn will be exchanged for the noise of the day. The calm solitude will be replaced by the human race. The refuge of the early morning will be invaded by decisions to be made and deadlines to be met. For the next 12 hours, I will be exposed to the day's demands. It is now that I must make a choice. Because of Calvary, I am free to choose. So I choose the spirit. I choose fruit. I choose love. No occasion justifies hatred. No injustice warrants bitterness. I choose love. Today, I will love God and what God loves. And I choose joy. I will invite my God to be the God of circumstance. I will refuse the temptation to be cynical. I will refuse to see people as anything less than human beings created by God. I will refuse to see any problem as anything less than an opportunity to see God. I choose to find joy in what God joyfully created. And I choose peace. I will live forgiven. I will forgive so that I might live. I choose to foster peace by forgiving as I have been forgiven. And I choose patience. I will overlook the inconveniences of the world and instead see them as opportunities. Instead of cursing the one who takes my place, I will invite him to do so. Rather than complain that the wait is too long, I will thank God for a moment to pray. Instead of clenching my fist at new assignments, I will face them with joy and with courage. And I will choose kindness. I will be kind to the poor, for they are often alone. And I will be kind to the rich, for they are often afraid. And I will be kind even to the unkind, because that is how God has treated me. And I will choose goodness. I will go without a dollar before I take a dishonest one. I will be overlooked before I will boast. I will confess before I accuse. And I will go out of my way to do right instead of wrong. And I will make every effort to right my wrongs. And I choose faithfulness. I will be faithful to my promises. My debtors will not regret their trust. My friends and associates will have no reason to doubt my word. My wife will not question my love. And my children won't fear that their father won't come home. And I choose gentleness. Nothing worth having is won by force. I choose to treat others with the same gentle compassion I have received from the Lord. If I raise my voice, may it only be in praise. If I clench my fist, may it only be in prayer. And if I make a demand, may it only be of myself. And I choose self-control. I am a spiritual being. After this body is dead, my spirit will soar, and I refuse to let what will rot rule what is eternal. So I choose self-control. I will be drunk only by joy. 
I will be impassioned only by my faith. I will only be under the influence of my God. I will be taught only by Christ because I choose self-control. This is my commitment to the Lord. I choose love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I choose the Spirit. I choose fruit. To these I commit my day. To these I commit my life. And if I succeed, I will give him thanks because he's the one who made it possible. And when I fail, and I will fail, I will seek his grace because it's the free gift from my master. Let's pray together. Father, we choose the Spirit. Father, we choose fruit. Father, we stand in your presence letting you know that we choose love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Father, we we choose you. We choose life. But Father, we also stand in your presence acknowledging that this is too much for us to do on our own. Father, we know that we can only do this with your power, with your spirit. So we pray, Father, that you will strengthen us, you will guide us, and Father, you will help us to be people who live by the spirit and who produce your fruit. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. We have said that during this year, one of the things that we're going to do periodically is we're going to bring each other to make a public commitment to the Lord. And we're going to do that once again this morning. So I'm going to ask everybody to stand. I'm going to say the words, Netherwood Park, choose this day whom you will serve. And if you are committed to serving the Lord, I'm going to ask you to echo back to me the words that are in the screen behind me. So let's do this together. Netherwood Park, choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's sing together. Let's worship the master in song.